Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, you are our creator, and we've come to, to worship you as our creator. Wow, this week to see the blue skies and the sun you've placed there, what an amazing creation. To see the stars in the sky at night, wow, what a marvelous creation you have made. And, and when we had messed it all up, and gone our own way, you came to save us. And so we're here to worship you, not only as our creator, but as our savior. Lord, we confess our sins to you, and, and we confess to you the sins of our nation that we have forgotten you. And we're here today because we recognize we need you. No one needs you more than we do. And we pray for revival in your church. Will you not yourself revive us again that your people may rejoice in you? Holy Spirit, fall fresh on us that we would rejoice in you. That we would be so full of your love and joy that we would go and make disciples who make disciples who make disciples and that we would see our nation change one disciple, one heart at a time. Oh, and as we open your word together and maybe read things hard for all of us to hear, Holy Spirit, give us hearts to, hearts to hear and, and eyes to see. For we pray in Jesus' name, amen. Many of us, uh, we're spending time with Jesus each day and we're walking through Matthew together and so this week I was reading, like many of you were in Matthew, and in Matthew 14, I was reading in Matthew 14, and I read about John the Baptist, and I, and I read about how John the Baptist was beheaded. Um, know why he was beheaded? Do you know why? He was beheaded because he said to the king, he said, it's not right for you to have your brother's wife. And so it's interesting, 2,000 years ago, John the Baptist spoke about marriage and sex, and he was beheaded. And I thought, really, not much has changed, has it? This week, yes, this week I read, I, I read a, about the a Denver Post columnist, a columnist, and he wrote a column and he was fired. And here's what he said in the column. He said, there are two sexes, Male and female. Some people have an XX chromosome and some have an XY chromosome. And for that, he was fired. Isn't it interesting that something that 10 years ago you could have said and, and, and no one would have thought much about it and yet you say it today and you could be fired? Have you noticed there's kind of a moral and sexual revolution sweeping across our country like a tsunami, and it kind of wipes out everything in its past? And I think each of us individually, and I think each of us, and, and as a church, we have to figure out how are we going to respond? How are we going to respond? And I want you to know, I want you to know where Good News Church is in that. That, that the point of today's message, what we're going to explore, is that marriage is a one-flesh union. Uh, that, that marriage is a one-flesh union. If this is your first Sunday here, let me help you understand a few things. I'm a Christian. Uh, if you're here, I want you to know I'm a Christian. Welcome. 
Uh, I'm a disciple of Jesus, that I have hooked my wagon to Jesus, and and I want to follow him. That's who I am. I want you to understand something else. I believe the Bible is the word of God, that when we open it up and read it, it smells like God. And I believe that when we have questions about marriage or sex or family, that we should open up God's word and we should read what it says. And that's what we're going to do today. Matter of fact, this year we've been walking through the first book in the Bible called Genesis. And Genesis is a marvelous book because it's about origins, where everything came from. And so today, in a culture that's asking questions about marriage and sex and family, we get a chance to open up the Word of God and see how it all started. So, what have we learned this year? So far this year, we learned that God created everything out of nothing, and it was good. And then we learn that the first verse in the Bible is the most important verse in the Bible. Remember that? Remember how we read, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And if you believe the first verse in the Bible, like I do, then everything else in the Bible makes sense. But if you struggle over the first, you'll struggle in many other places. Oh, and and then we learn that people are unique. Remember we learned God created man in his own image? In the image of God, he created him. So we learn that people are unique. They're made in the image of God. Now notice, God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. We learn that God made two sexes. He made male and female. And God made us male and female for a reason, for a purpose. God blessed them and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. Because the first command God gave us was for a male and female to get married so they could have sex and fill the world with people who were made in the image of God. And that's what we've learned this year. And then last week we learned that both work and rest are good. And so I think as you've come here today, you probably worked harder this week than you have before. Way to go. And you've rested better because we learned that both work and rest are good. So now we're going to learn about the first marriage. We're going to see how it all started. Don't you want to know? In Genesis 2, if you have your Bible, turn with me there, and we'll start reading in verse 4. This is the account of the heavens and the earth when they were created, in the day that the Lord God made earth and heaven. So in Genesis chapter 1, we're given the first week of creation, how how God made everything. That's what we see in chapter 1. In chapter 2, we come back and we get the story, almost like Adam was telling us what happened on day 6, what happened on the day God made man. Now no shrub of the field was yet in the earth, and no plant of the field had yet sprouted. For the Lord God had not sent rain upon the earth, and there was no man to cultivate the ground, but a mist used to rise from the earth and water the whole surface of the ground. So on the third day, God made the plants. It seems like there was a water canopy around the earth that protected the earth from a lot of the harmful rays of the sun. There wasn't rain, it doesn't seem like, until the flood, and yet everything was watered through a mist. 
Now pay attention to the next verse. Then the Lord God formed man of dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living being. Now, notice it does not say the Lord God found a nice chimpanzee and told him to stand up straighter, and then he gave him a soul and he became a human being. That's not how it happened. Did you notice that? But instead, instead it says God took dust and he uniquely made man and breathed into man and he became a living being. Now at that time it would have seemed really strange, wouldn't it, that, that man was made from dust, but it's true. You do know, right, in our homes, you know this, right, that 90% of the dust in our home is discarded skin cells. Did you know that? Listen, I have helped many of you move, and when we moved your furniture, we discovered some of your relatives. <laughs> Grandma was under the bed, right? And Aunt Ethel was under the chest of drawers, right? It's true. We are made of the dust of the ground. And then notice this, he breathed into nostril. God, who is life, breathed life into us. That's biogenesis. Life comes from life. And man became a living being. This is really good. We are body, material, and spirit immaterial. We're both. Who we are is body and spirit. Our spirit is our mind, our emotion, our will. But we are whole. We are body and spirit made by God. The Lord God planted a garden toward the east in Eden, and there he placed the man whom he had formed. Um, so God made man, and all the earth was beautiful, but God planted a garden. You know what Eden means? Anybody know what it means? Delight. It means delight. God had a garden that was paradise on earth, because we were created by God for a person and a place. And God's plan was that we would walk with God in paradise in a garden called delight. Out of the ground the Lord God caused to grow every tree that is pleasing to the sight and good for food. And, and God filled that garden called delight with all kinds of food to eat. And then there were two other trees, the tree of life also in the midst of the garden, which Adam and Eve could have eaten and lived forever, and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. But there was another tree, and we'll learn more about that later. Now a river flowed out of Eden to water the garden, and from there it divided and became four rivers. The name of the first is Pishon. It flows around the whole land of Havilah where there is gold. The gold of that land is good. Notice that. The first time money is mentioned in the Bible is said it's good. Did you notice that? The gold of that land is good. Don't you like money? I mean, imagine if we didn't have money and you wanted to buy a car, you'd have to take like 15 cows to the car dealer, right? And you'd have to buy your car with cows. Aren't you glad we have money? The gold of that land was good. It enables us to do business. And right there, the first time money is mentioned in the Bible, it's good. The gold of that land is good. Uh, the bedellum and the onyx stones are there. The, names, the name of the second river is Gihon. It flows around the whole land of Cush. The name of the third river is Tigris. It flows east of Assyria. And the fourth river is the Euphrates. In a few weeks, we're going to learn there was a catastrophic event on earth called the flood. And... Uh, 
These names that are pre-flood like Tiger and, Euph and Euphrates, they're used after the floods, but they're not the same place, okay? They're not the same river. The world is very different after the flood, even though they carried over some of the names. Now, then the Lord God took the man and put him into the garden. God made us for a person and place. He took man and he put him in a garden called paradise. Notice for what? To cultivate and keep it. So he made man to what? To work. Isn't that interesting? That, that we were made to work. God works and we were made to work. God put man in the garden to cultivate and keep it. The Lord God commanded the man saying, From any tree of the garden you may eat freely, but from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat from it, you will surely die. Listen, God made man to walk with him in paradise. And in paradise, it was all yeses. All yeses and one no. Did I mention it was all yeses and one no? What do we do when it's all yeses and one no? We do what we focus on the, the no, right? Oh. Listen, it was paradise. God had loved, had loved Adam. He had placed paradise for him. Everything was good. And he wanted to see that having loved man so well, would man love God back with one simple rule? Would man obey God out of love? And notice what he said, that if you eat from it, you will surely die. And in the Bible, death primarily means separation. The result would be spiritual death, that man would no longer walk with God. Physical death, that our bodies would start to decay. Eternal death, that we would face body and spirit being separated from God forever. Then the Lord God said, it is not good for man to be alone. I will make him a helper suitable for him. Now, some of you, wait a minute, what does it mean it's not good? I thought everything God made was good. What's, what's happening here, in the middle of the sixth day, it wasn't good because God's creation was not complete. That's what it means it's not good. He wasn't through yet. Next, I want you to notice it is not good for man to be, what's the word? Now, that's very important, for man to be alone. It doesn't say that Adam was lonely. That's very important. It doesn't say Adam was lonely. It says he was alone because Adam was not lonely. Because God walked with man in paradise. And he had all the animals for companionship. I mean, what do we say today? That a, uh, a man's best friend is a, is a dog, right? He wasn't lonely, but he was alone. And what that means is without a female... He couldn't keep the first commandment that God gave him. The first commandment was to be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth, and he couldn't do it without a female. It is not good for man to be alone, so he says, I will make him a helper suitable for him. And, and I, I, know, I, I know some of the ladies say, I don't want to be a helper. But do you know who in the Bible is most often referred to as a helper? God is. God is our help. And if you read the New Testament, in the New Testament, who's, who's referred to as the helper over and over again? Who? Jesus said, I will give you another helper. The Holy Spirit is referred to as the helper, right? Uh, and, and by the way, 
if you think the word helper is a bad word, if you're helping your kids with their homework, what does that mean? It means you know more than they do, right? Doesn't it? Because if you didn't, you couldn't what? You couldn't help them. Oh, I've told you before, you know Kieran's version of this, don't you? That God made the man, took one look at him, said, I can do better. <laughs> made the woman. I'm not arguing. So what it says, the Lord God said, it is not good for man to be alone. I will make him a helper suitable for him. Out of the ground, the Lord God formed every beast of the field and every bird of the sky and brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And whatever the man called a living creature, that was his name. He made the birds on the fifth day. He made the animals on the sixth day. He brought them to the man to see what he would name them. The man gave names to all the cattle and to the birds of the sky and to every beast of the field. Man is made in God's image. In chapter 1, we see what? God naming things, doesn't he? That God called the day, the light day, and he called the dark night. So Adam is made in the image of God, and what's he doing? He's doing just what God does because he's made in his image. There was not found a helper suitable for him. God was bringing the animals before Adam, and I believe he was bringing them in pairs. They were coming male female, male, female, male, female, and, and Adam realizes what? What? Where's my female, right? Where is, where, where is mine that I'm not? They're all in pairs and I'm not. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man, the first surgery in the Bible, and he slept. Then he took one of his ribs and closed up the flesh at that place. So he takes the woman from his side. Isn't that interesting? She wasn't taken from his head that she would rule over him. She wasn't taken from his foot that he would rule over her, but she was taken from his side that they would be companions, that they would be equals, right? Oh, the Bible is one story, and, and it's really a rescue story. And what a picture we have here of Jesus, because the bride comes from the side of the groom, and one day Jesus would be on a cross, wouldn't he? And they would stab him in the side with a spear, and out would come blood, or, blood and water, wouldn't it? And, and wouldn't that blood purchase his bride, his church? Do we not come from the side of our Savior? Any of, you, any of you have the love language of gift giving? Do you, do you love to buy gifts for people that are just what they want? Did you know God has that gift? So, so here's man, here's paradise. Now, now listen to this. The Lord God fashioned into a woman the rib which he had taken from the man and brought her to the man. Oh man, here's paradise and there's only one thing missing. So he, he forms the woman, he brings the woman to the man, and the man said, this is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. I'm so thankful to be a Christian. We live around people who think we just kind of like evolved from animals. But we get the story of the first marriage. It's a beautiful story. God made us in his image. 
He made us for a person and place. He made the man. He made the woman. And he brought them together. And the man said, This is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. The first words that a man said to a woman is, You are beautiful. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and his mother and be joined to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. No guilt, no shame. They were naked and not ashamed. Now I want you to see verse 24. God institutes marriage on the very day he created mankind. Marriage is God's institution, not man's. It's not something that some men thought up as a way to enslave women. It was something God instituted for human flourishing. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and his mother and be joined to his wife and they shall become one flesh. I want you to notice that not only did God institute marriage, but God defined marriage for us. We don't have to come up with our own definition. God defines it for us. He says that marriage is a one flesh union. A man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. That marriage is the permanent union of one man and one woman. Um, God takes these things, love and marriage and sex and children, and say they belong together in something beautiful. That a man and woman love each other, and then they get married to express their commitment to each other, and then they have sex, and then they have children, and then children get to grow up with their mommy and daddy. And that's good for men, and it's good for women, and it's good for children, and it's good for the church, and it's good for society. It leads to human flourishing. And so I want you to know that our elders have gotten a little ahead of the tsunami, and, and we've planted ourselves right on what the Bible teaches. So in our doctrinal statement, here's what we say about the family. Good News Church says we believe that the family is God's institution and the basic building block of human society. We believe the Bible clearly teaches that marriage is the permanent union of one man and one woman, a one flesh union. We just believe and affirm what the Bible teaches. We believe God has given sex as a wonderful gift to be enjoyed in marriage alone between a husband and wife and that the purpose of sex and marriage is for oneness, children, and pleasure. So today, I wanted us to start by looking at God's perfect design, a one-flesh union, uh, the permanent union of a man and woman. But we also need to understand we have all sinned. We have all sinned. Our first parents, our first parents sinned against God, and their sin wrecked everything and everyone and we have all followed in the footsteps of our first parents and we have all sinned too none of us has gotten marriage or sex or family right we've all messed it up matter of fact here's what the bible says all of us like sheep have gone astray each of us has turned to his own way some of us have had sex outside of marriage some of us are divorced. Some of us disobeyed our parents. Anybody ever do that? We've all gotten 
family and marriage and sex wrong, we've all gone our own way. All of us, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way. None of us have done it right. <clears throat> so God's perfect design, a one flesh union, we've, we've all sinned, we've all messed it up, and we all need Jesus. Everyone in this room needs Jesus. We all do. We need Jesus because we need someone to forgive us, and and we need someone to give us the desire and the power to live according to God's design. We can't do that on our own. We need help. And so we have a Savior, that Jesus is God, the Son, who put on flesh and came to earth and lived a perfect life for us. And then he went to the cross to die for our sins. All of us, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way, but the Lord has caused the iniquity of us all to fall on him. Listen, our divorce, our immorality, our disobedience to our parents, all of our sins were placed on Jesus. He paid for them in full, and he rose on the third day, proving he had conquered sin and death. And our Savior offers us eternal life. Listen, he offers to forgive all our sins, past, present, and future. He offers to give us the Holy Spirit, to give us the Holy Spirit, to give us the desire and the power to live according to God's design. He wants to change our nature, to give us a new operating system. He wants to give us the opportunity to do life with Him and for Him, and eternity with Him and for Him. And what does He require of us? That we would believe in Him. That we would believe in Him as Savior and Lord. Listen to this. That if you confess with your mouth, Jesus as Lord. And believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Would you like to be forgiven? Would you like a new operating system? Would you like the opportunity to do life with him and for him in eternity? Then, then won't you believe in Jesus? And we love to say that's as simple as ABC, where we admit and believe and commit. It starts when we admit Jesus... I've not done this right. I, I've not done sex and marriage and family right. I've sinned. And isn't that true of all of us? And then it's that, that I believe you died on the cross for my sins and rose, won't you? And then, and then we trust Jesus as Savior. Jesus, I want you to move in and forgive me and give me eternal life. And I want you to be Lord of my life. Help me be the person you want me to be. And if you haven't, won't you? And if you have, then I want you to know you're saved. You've been forgiven. You've been given the Holy Spirit. Now, now we can do life and eternity with Him and, and for Him. So what have we learned so far? We've learned that God's perfect design is that marriage is a one flesh union, a permanent union of a man and woman. But we've learned that we've all sinned and we all need Jesus. So that's what I wanted us to learn this week. Now I, I want to give you an action step. When I, when I send you out today, I have an assignment for you to do this week, and, it, and it's that I want you to choose Jesus as Lord and be ready. I want you to choose Jesus as Lord each day this week and be ready. Let me show you that. See this verse, 1 Peter 3, 15, but sanctify Christ as Lord in your hearts. There's a one-time decision we do that when when we're converted, when we're saved. But there's another sense in which we get up every day of our life, we get up every day of our life and we renew that commitment right. 
Jesus, you're Lord. Today, I want to follow you. So I want you to choose Jesus as Lord very consciously each day this week. And here's why I want you to do that. When it comes to family and marriage and sex, Jesus and our culture are very far apart. And every one of us has to make a choice. We have to make a choice. Are we going to follow Jesus or are we going to follow our culture because we can't do both? Listen to what the Apostle Paul said. It's, this is Galatians 1, verse 10. For am I now seeking the favor of men or of God, or am I striving to please men? If I were still trying to please men, I would not be a bondservant of Christ. <laughs> if I wanted to please men, I wouldn't be following Christ because I can't do both. And I believe it's very important we wake up each day and say, Jesus, I want to follow you. Jesus, I'm a Christian. I'm a disciple. I want to follow you. So you got the first part of the assignment? You got it? It's to sanctify Christ as Lord in your heart. Uh, okay, now here's the second part about being ready. But sanctify Christ as Lord in your heart, always being ready to make a defense to everyone who asks you to give an account for the hope that's in you. If not this week, someday soon, someone will ask you, what do you believe about marriage? And you need to be ready right? Now, what I want to teach you, I don't want to teach you how to defend a traditional view of marriage, but I want to equip you to defend a biblical view of marriage. I don't want to defend tradition. I do want to defend what the Bible teaches, and I want to equip you to get there. So our assignment is to choose Jesus as Lord and be ready. Be ready to make a defense to everyone who asks you to give an account for the hope that's in you. What do you believe about marriage? Are you ready? If not, then maybe you should listen, okay? Yet with gentleness and reverence. Now notice the next part. And keep a good conscience so that in the thing which, in which you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ will be put to shame. When this was written... Christians were very different from the culture. They stood out, and so the culture made all kinds of false accusations against Christians. They said they were cannibals. You know why, don't you? Help me, what? Because of the Lord's Supper, right? This is my body, this is my blood. They also were accused of being incestuous. You know why, don't you? Because they called each other what? brother and sister. They were accused of being seditious, right? Of wanting to overthrow the Roman government. You know why? Because they said that Jesus is king over Caesar. All those things were untrue. And what Peter was saying, an important way of overcoming all those accusations is by living a life that silences them. So when we affirm a biblical view of marriage, people are going to say you're intolerant, you're a hater, and we need to remember that one of the ways we silence people is through the way that we live. I mean, come on, my name's Smiley, okay? It's Good News Church, okay? Am I really a hater? 
So listen, for those of you who are married, for those of you who are married, one of the ways that we can be ready to make a defense is we can stay married. Now, now I know a lot of us are divorced, and listen, the past is past. We can't do anything about the past. The past is past. But something we can do, something we can do is, is to seek the help of Jesus so that from this day forward, we stay married. You see, we can share with others that Jesus enables us to experience a happily imperfect marriage. Listen, my marriage is a mess because I'm a mess. Jesus has not made my marriage perfect, but Jesus enables Karen and I to enjoy a happily imperfect marriage. And that's what I share with others, that Jesus enables us to experience a happily imperfect marriage. So listen, if you're married, part of defending our faith is to stay married. But all of us, whether we're married or not, all of us need to be prepared to defend a biblical view of marriage and sex and family. Because the tsunami is coming after us. And so I want to equip you. I want you to be ready. Now, I'm going to teach you some things but your assignment when you go home is you have to pray them over and practice them and practice them. You know in sports, do you know why people practice? You know why? Because once the game starts, everything happens so fast that if you haven't prepared, you're going to respond wrongly. And so we're going to learn some things that we need to pray about and practice and practice and practice so that that day comes when someone says, well, what do you believe about marriage? You've prayed about it and prayed about it and prepared and prepared and under pressure, you're ready. Okay? So how can we be prepared? We're called to be disciples, right? Jesus said, follow me, didn't he? And what else did he say? He said, what, follow me and I will what? Make you fishers of men. So we should learn from Jesus, don't you think, how to respond to questions about marriage. Don't you think that would be a good idea? Do you realize in Jesus' day that marriage was a controversial topic? Did you know that? So one day some religious leaders came trying to trap Jesus, and they asked him, is it okay? Is it okay to divorce your wife for any reason at all? They thought they had him trapped. There will be people who try and trap us and ask the question, what do you think about marriage? So look at what Jesus did. So they asked him a question, and listen, write down these verses. You need to know these verses. You need to pray them and pray them and practice them and practice them so you're ready when someone asks you, what do you believe about marriage? So Jesus has asked a question. Now notice what he does. And he answered and said, have you not read? So what did Jesus do when they asked him a question? What did he do? He what? He asked them a question back for many reasons. One reason, it's a lot easier to ask questions than to answer them. So listen, when someone asks you, what do you believe about marriage? Listen, don't go for the bait. Ask them back. What do you believe about marriage? Listen, ask them back. And then, listen, these are questions you need to learn. You need to practice them and practice them so that in the heat of the moment, you're able to respond. What do you believe about marriage? Has that always been your belief? What changed your mind? 
What changed your mind and how do you know you're right? Those are so important to know. What do you believe about marriage? Has that always been your belief? What changed your thinking? How do you know you're right? And then after you ask them questions, if they ask you again, what do you believe? Look at the second thing Jesus did. Uh, first, he asked them back a question. Now notice what he says, have you not read that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female? So Jesus points them to the Bible. He points them, this is what the Bible teaches. And so we want to bring people to the Bible and say, listen, my opinion doesn't matter, but I'd love for you to come and read what the Bible says. Have them read the verses. You see, the Bible teaches that God made two sexes, male and female. And Jesus went on to affirm and, and said, For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. God not only made male and female, he instituted marriage and defined it. It's a man and woman for life. It's what the Bible teaches. So they are no longer two but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let no man separate. We want to respond to a question with a question. We want to invite people to come and read what the Bible says because the power is in the Bible, not in our persuasion. And, and I believe at that point, at that point, often people are going to say, well, you Christians are so self-righteous, you think you're so much better than everybody else. And that's our opportunity to move on to share the gospel because then we can say, oh, no, no. See, we believe we believe that God's perfect design was a one flesh union, yes. But we also believe that we've all sinned, that we've all missed that. And we all need Jesus. Listen, everybody needs Jesus, especially me. Man, wouldn't you like to know Jesus, wouldn't you? Let's pray. Jesus, thank you for coming into this world to, to save sinners because we'd all messed it all up. Thank you for living a perfect life and dying and rising so that we could have eternal life. Listen, if you'd like to be forgiven and to have the Holy Spirit working in you and to do life with Jesus in eternity, won't you admit to him, Jesus, I've sinned against you and, and I'm sorry. Won't you believe, Jesus, I believe you died on the cross for my sins and rose. And won't you commit to him, Jesus, come in and, and be my Savior and forgive me and give me eternal life. I want you to be Lord of my life. Help me be the person you want me to be. Oh, you've done that for the first time. Won't you mark it on your card? We'd love to celebrate with you or tell someone. Lord, I pray for those of us who've received you as Savior and Lord that this week, each day when we get up, we would choose anew you to be our Lord, that we would want to follow you. And Lord, that we would prepare and pray and practice and be ready. We'd be ready to defend a biblical view of marriage. Lord, help us to follow your example. And when asked, help us to ask questions back. When asked, help us to invite others to come and see you, to come and read your word. Help us to point others to Jesus. 
because we all need Jesus. And we pray in Jesus' name, amen.